Come on, let's stand to our feet. Put our hands together. We bless your name, Lord. Yeah. 
Somebody give him some praise this morning. Amen. We bless your name, Lord. You're worthy of all our praise and our worship, God. Lord, we take this moment, God, as we continue in worship, God, just to tell you that we want you more in this place. God, we invite your presence to be in this place. God, we want to make room for you, God. Lord, it's not about us, but it's all about you, God. And we pray, God, every song we sing, every word that comes out of our mouth, God, brings you glory and brings you honor, Lord. And we invite you, Lord. Just be in our midst, Lord. Change lives in this service today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let your kingdom come, 
Give him some praise. He's worthy. Amen. Bless your name, Lord. You're the God of miracles. 
Just keep that heart, that mindset. Don't let your heart leave that place of worship. While you go ahead, if you will, just take a seat. Keep that, keep engaged with the Lord, but they're going to serve you with communion. I just have that feeling there's some people in here that really do believe that. Amen? You just have that feeling. Amen? There's a great atmosphere here right now. I believe when that happens, when people worship collectively like this and we're declaring the Word of God, I mean the heavens can open up and literally miracles can happen. We have an opportunity now to take communion. And what I want us to be reminded about is Jesus mentioned when he did this, this was about a new covenant. And I want you to think a minute about the old covenant. First, I want you to think about your old self and, uh, and how bad we are. 
And even now that we're, you know, sometimes redeemed, we're still not the best, are we? We're just by nature kind of selfish and whatever. But, you know, you think about that a minute, but then think, just thank God. I might not be where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And God's doing a work in my life. And, and he's got an opportunity today, and that's what communion does. We get a chance to reflect where we're really at right now what we've done wrong, and that we can just go before the Lord and ask Him to forgive us, and He's what? He's faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sins. And especially if you have hurt against, ought against somebody, boy, this is a time you need to get that just laid at the cross. It's not worth holding on to offense because the enemy will use that to beat you up and destroy you. And just, you just forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. And as we're reminded about that old covenant, just think how many sacrifices they had to make, how much blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And that one priest could go in but once a year. After they shed all this blood, he could go in but once a year to kind of be with God or in the presence of the Lord. And then, you know, the story's told that, you know, there's bells around their garments. And they'd have a rope on their ankle. And if you didn't hear the priest moving around in there and those bells ringing, that man, he must have not done things right, and they'd have to drag him out. They'd have to drag the pastor out, and they'd send the youth pastor in. Right, Cole? No? But I mean, it's a very serious thing. Only once a year. But now we got a new covenant. And you read through Hebrews, especially chapter 10, that veil was ripped between God and man. I mean, there was now one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus that paid the penalty for all of us. And when he did on that cross, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. He defeated it all. And that's what this is reminding us of right now. And then when Jesus said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he's betrayed, the night he's betrayed, he knew he was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to be betrayed. And he had this fellowship with his disciples. He took that bread. He said, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you hold that bread, I mean, think of what happened on that cross to his body that was broken for us. I mean, he was literally whipped so many times and beaten so many times in the face, and his beard hair pulled out. The Bible says he was not even recognizable as a human, and he did that for us because he knew that by his stripes, what? We could be healed. So if you're sick in your body, when you take this today, I want you to believe for, if that's the miracle you need, let's believe that for today. Lord, forgive us. For any sins, we choose to forgive those who have sinned against us. As we receive this bread now, we receive forgiveness, we receive health, we receive all the promises in Jesus' name. Take of the bread. And we had given thanks. He broke it. He said, this is my body for you and remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. Say new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink and in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then it goes on in Hebrews to say, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places of God through the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened to us through the curtain, that is, through his death. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. He's faithful, isn't he? Well, Lord, we want to thank you that this represents victory, victory over death, hell, and the grave. Lord, we can expect opposition, but we can expect help, and we can expect victory, and we declare victory in the name of Jesus as we partake of this cup in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go back into worship, whatever's going on in your life you need a miracle for, 
I'm telling you, I want you to worship with all your heart. Because we can come boldly to the throne of grace, can't we? Through the blood of Jesus. And when you worship, worship and then listen to the Lord. He might tell you what to do in your situation. He might say if you're sick in your body, let the elders pray for you. He might say you're going through a situation. He might just say, just trust me in this. I got this one. So whatever it is, we're going to believe for your miracle. Amen. God bless you. We worship today. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. The sorrow may come in the darkest night, but the cross has the final word. And the cross has the final word. The cross has the vital word. Evil may put up his strongest fight, but the cross has the vital word. And the cross has the vital Give him some praise this morning. Amen. All honor belongs to our God. What an awesome God he is. Why don't you turn around three, two, three people this morning. Let them know you're happy to see me in God's house.
welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. Back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card and the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the connect room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. We're beginning a can and coat drive to send to a Native American reservation in Gallup, New Mexico. Over the next few weeks, bring canned foods and your lightly used coats and drop them in our containers in the foyer to help support this cause. We're hosting a marriage retreat November 3rd through 5th in Hot Springs, Arkansas. This will be a great opportunity for you and your spouse to grow closer together. To sign up or for more information, visit our table in the foyer. Sunday, October 15th at 9 a.m. in Kid Zone, we have an interest meeting for our upcoming mission trip to India. If you're interested or need more information, be sure to attend. Good to see everybody here. Are you glad when they said it's time to go to the house of the Lord today? I'm telling you, it's a great this atmosphere here whenever believers get together. Hey, a couple things on those video announcements. First of all, we are trying to get together a trip to go in the month of October, so not very far off here, uh, to the Indian Reservation, one in Gallup, New Mexico. We made a connection with two pastors, so try to bring as many coaches as you can, cans, goods, because that's going to come up in a matter of two or three weeks. But we're continuing to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. And first of all, I just want to say I'm just proud to be part of a church that's a giving church that literally we're doing things all over the world mission trips and all kinds of things going on and that's because you're faithful when you're faithful to bring that tithe return it to the house of the lord and that's the one place where you can say i trust you lord it's a i mean it's a very tangible way when you say i you know you say i love somebody and but until you actually do something and sacrifice and show them that man you really do love me and that sacrifice of that tithe is the way you tell God, I really do love you, I really do trust you. But Pastor Travis, tell us about a church we just dedicated in New Mexico. Yeah, just a few weeks ago, we sent a team down to Mexico. Uh, Miss Linnell went, my wife went, and they dedicated a church that uh, we built. Uh, several months ago, we had some missionary friends from Mexico. They called us and they said, listen, we have a congregation of people that are meeting. There's about 60 or 70 of them, and they have a little lean-to church. And uh, this was right outside of a dump where a lot of these people actually live. And uh, he said, we would love to build a church. And so uh, we kind of talked about that, and we presented that before the church. I don't know if you remember that. That was several months ago. But we raised $10,000 really fast. We sent it over there. They built a church. And so this team went just a few weeks ago and they dedicated this church. And listen, we say this all the time. Listen, number one, God is amazing. 
when we give what we have, our tithes, our offerings, whatever, a little, a much, man, God transforms that into ministry. And so this morning, these people in Mexico, they're going to be worshiping God under a church that we built, that we sent money for. And I'm telling you, that's just amazing. God loves us here. God loves the people of the world. And uh, just again, thanks so much for your giving. It really does make a difference. Amen. You know, Pastor Travis, I was just thinking of that pastor down there. I mean, just seeing, I mean, people living in a dump and then starting to pray to God. Lord, just yeah. give us a church. And then how are you going to do that? How could you believe for that? But you know what? God is faithful, isn't yeah. he? And isn't it neat that we get to be a part of answered prayer? And so be open this week, just looking through the community. Somebody that might need the prayer, just inviting the church. Somebody might need literally physically something given to them to help them. Man, we could be God's hands extended, can't we? So amen. God bless you give. And remember, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen.
today we love you. And God, we thank you that the only place that we can find fulfillment and happiness, Lord, is in you. God, we thank you that we find our identity in you. It's only in you that we have peace and we have joy, God, that we can truly love. And God, we thank you that today that, that you care about us, Lord, that you love us. God, a lot of us in here, we're going through different things in our life, but you are the God that sees all of our needs, and you're the God that cares. So Lord, today we just say, uh, want you, God. We need you. Lord, touch our hearts, touch our minds. This morning, we just say yes to you. Whatever you'd have us to do, God, we say yes. We love you, and we bless you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. amen. Give it up for the Lord one time. Look at your neighbor. Tell them they're looking good today. Look at your other neighbor and say, you too. You too. Awesome. We are glad that you are here today, this morning. If you're a guest in worship, welcome, welcome. We are glad that you came. And uh, we just believe that God has something great in store for today, for your life. And uh, God is just faithful. Amen? He really is. Uh, my name is Travis. I'm the Next Generation Pastor here uh, at Church on the Rock. Next week, Pastor John will be back continuing his series. But they're out of town this week, him and Miss Linnell, because they have a new addition to their family. First grandbaby, John Henry Miller V. And so uh, he'll be back next week. I'm sure he'll be bragging and showing a lot more pictures than that. But uh, how many people just love Pastor John? Love Miss Linnell. Amen. Also, uh, yesterday was an eventful day for us. Uh, one of our pastors, Zach Yeldale, got married. Uh, him and Sarah. So uh, they're suffering for Jesus in uh, Cancun right now. So pray for them. But uh, any, anyway, uh, I'm glad to be here today. I'm excited about sharing with you. Uh, I believe that the Lord has something awesome for us today. How many people know church is fun? Yeah. It really is. Worshiping God, coming to church is fun. If it's not fun to you, you're doing it wrong. So we're going to have fun today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 15. And today we're going to look at possibly the most uh, famous story in the whole Bible, uh, a story that's been referred to as the prodigal son. Uh, I think a better title of it is the two lost sons, but that's the title of today's message. Uh, I've read this story so many times. I've preached it several times, but I really believe today that God is going to give us some fresh revelation uh, of how much God loves us and how much we should love him. 
Uh, I think sometimes in our life uh, we can get busy, we can get just consumed with a lot of things, and we can lose the wonderment and the amazement of what Jesus did for us a few thousand years ago. He came to the earth, he lived a perfect life, he taught, he did miracles, but ultimately those things qualified him to die on the cross for our sins so we could be restored to the Father. How many people are glad that Jesus died for your sins? Amen. And uh, as we enter in kind of the last, uh, this is the end of the third quarter, it's amazing to think about it, there's just you know, about three and a half months left, and 2017 is over. I'm just finally writing like my checks right with 2017, and here we are about to, to go into 2018. But as we enter this last quarter, I believe that the Lord wants to give us a heart of thanksgiving for Him. We can get busy, we can get consumed, and, and I think today the focus just needs to be on how grateful for, we are for a God that loves us, that cares about us, that died on the cross for our sins. Does that sound good? So we're going to look at this familiar story, and I believe God's going to show us some fresh things. You know, you can read the Bible over and over and over again, but because it's the inspired Word of God, it can speak to you over and over and over again about different things in your life. So this morning, uh, we're going to look at this. I'm going to read the whole story. It's, it's a little long, but we're going to read it. I'm going to have five points that just stick out that I think is going to help us have a heart of thanksgiving and passion for this season. Sound good? I hope it does. So here we go. Luke chapter 15. Are you there? Say, I'm there. Okay, here we go. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, referring to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So he told them this parable. Jump down to verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into a far country. Say far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out as one of, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. And they begin to celebrate. Verse 25 says, Now his older brother, uh, or the older son, was in the field. And as he came and he drew close to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what are these things? Uh, what does these things mean? And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fattened calf, uh, you've killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Last verse. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. 
for your brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Let's pray for a second. Lord, we love you today. God, we thank you that the whole book of the Bible, the whole word of God is about uh, that very fact of being lost but also being found. And a father that's uh, continually just loves us and cares about us. Lord, today as, as we break apart this word, Lord, I pray that you would help us. You touch our hearts. You touch our minds. God, you would uh, you'd speak to us what we need to hear today. And as we leave this place in a few minutes, we would leave changed closer to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Uh, quick question uh, today as we jump in. How many people have ever been lost before? Ever been lost driving? All the guys put their hands down. We've never been lost in the woods or whatever. Um, I can remember several, this is probably two months ago, Whitney and I and our kids, we have two kids, a uh, four-year-old boy, two-year-old daughter. We were in our living room and it, we were, it was our day off and we're kind of watching TV, playing with our phones and the kids are in there and, and all of a sudden I, I realized things were like super quiet and they shouldn't be super quiet with, with two little kids, especially one that's really active. And so we realized that our son, Gabriel, he, he wasn't in the living room. He had been there, and he's normally loud. And so, you know, we didn't think much of it. We started kind of looking for him. We started calling out to him. And, and normally he'll yell back or do something, but we didn't hear him. So we kind of start looking around. And after a moment or two, if you're a parent in here, you know that anxious feeling that you just get, like, what just happened? And so we're looking around everywhere. We're calling out to him. We don't hear anything. Uh, we, we start looking in the front yard, the backyard. We don't see Gabe or hear him at all. And we're just like, oh, my gosh. It's been a couple minutes at this point. It feels like 30, but it really probably wasn't that long. And we're just thinking, what's going on? And I think immediately your mind goes to the worst place possible. And so we're looking around. I end up going upstairs to a spare bedroom that we have. And, and I just had this sense that he might be in here. And so I kind of lift up the covers on the bed. He's, he's actually under the bed. And around him, he has all these starburst wrappers all around him. <laughs> he's got drool coming down from his face, and he's just like grinning. And I'm like, Whitney, this is your son, you know? He's just like you. Anyway, so uh, he was lost, and, and we were just scared, you know, and, and after that, obviously so happy to, to get him. I think we may have gave him a spank, and his mom probably did, not me, his mom. But, uh, you know, it was scary. If, you, if you've ever had that feeling before with your child, it's scary. This is what this story is about. The story is about a son who was lost, a son that was gone. And what I want to endeavor to do this morning, again, like I said, is break this story apart. And uh, as we look at this, before we jump into a few of these points, I think we need to look at the audience that Jesus is talking to. We have to realize in the Bible, the Bible was not specifically written for us in 2017. It was written for the people that it was written for at the time. So we had to put ourselves in their position, understand the message that Jesus was sharing with them, and take that and apply that to our life. Does that make sense? So what audience is Jesus talking to as he begins this parable of the prodigal son? Uh, he's talking with tax collectors. He's talking with sinners. And then the Bible says that Pharisees, they walk up to him. So let's look at these kind of a little bit deeper tax collectors. As a lot of us know, these tax collectors at the time, they were Jewish people. They were under the authority of the Roman Empire to collect taxes. Rome controlled the area at the time. And so these Jewish guys who were tax collectors, they had all the authority from Rome to collect taxes. The problem was um, they liked money too. And so they would use the position of power that they were given to take money, not just for the Roman Empire, but for themselves. We've read about this before several times in the Bible. It mentions tax collectors. They were considered cheats. They were considered 
thieves. They're considered just, just people that had gained their wealth and their stature off the backs of, of poor people. And so they were considered just people that you didn't want anything to do with. The next group of people that's around Jesus, the Bible says, are sinners. Anybody in here ever sinned? Anybody sinned today? Y'all can tell me later what y'all did. But listen, we, we, we've all sinned. Every one of us, the Bible says we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. But in this passage, he's not talking about everybody. He's specifically talking about sinners. He's either talking about Jewish people who don't believe in God, they're not following God, or he's talking about Gentile people who believe in many gods or believe in no God at all. So you have tax collectors and sinners, okay, uh, you have these tax collectors that are just scum of the earth, considered by a lot of people. Then you have these Gentile people, people that don't even believe in God. These are the people that are surrounding Jesus as he ministers. Either way, here's the first thing I want to point out this morning. Outcast and sinners were always drawn to Jesus. Anytime you ever open the Gospels, you're reading about the life of Jesus, you see people, all different spectrums, all different kinds of people were drawn to Jesus. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, lame people, shunned people, people with blind eyes, people that weren't saved, people that weren't holy, people that weren't even Jewish. They were drawn to Jesus, right? Everybody was drawn to Jesus. These people knew that Jesus loved them. People knew that Jesus cared about them. Jesus wasn't going to shun them and push them to the side. Jesus was also going to give them truth. But I think that's something to be thankful for, that we serve a God who's a God of the whosoever. Whosoever will follow. Uh, Jesus didn't just say, I'm, not, I'm only going to follow people of a certain class or a certain stature or people that live in a certain part of town. He said, anybody who wants to follow me can follow me. But also he gave them truth. And I, I think there's a paradigm as Christians we have to understand. I think we can get on one paradigm that we've been saved for a long time and we think that we've arrived and we think that we're better than everybody and we think that people that are in sin or living in sin, you know, have like the Zika virus and we don't want to be around them because we're better than them. I think it's to remember that every single one of us on our worst day, the Bible says that we are still uh, unrighteous, right? But it's the righteousness of Christ. And I think sometimes we forget where we used to be. And so I think we can get on one side of this paradigm where we just think we're better than and we never associate with people that are less than. We never associate with people that aren't like us. But I think you can go on the other end of the spectrum, too, where we become so politically correct. Jesus, even though he invited everybody in, Jesus constantly spoke truth to them. People would get caught in sin. Jesus still welcomed them, but what did he say? Go and sin no more. And I find out sometimes in our life, because we all want to be liked, we all want people to, to think we're good people and they, we want them to like us, a lot of times we can hold back from the truth. Jesus spoke the truth in love. He cared about people, but he did not shy away from issues. Listen, as followers of Christ, number one, we need to be loving people. And number two, we need to be speaking truth to people in love. You know, it makes me think as I look at the scriptures and I look at the red letters and I look at the life of Jesus, are sinners drawn to me? Are sinners drawn to you? You know, are sinners drawn to our church? Because that's what we want to happen. Amen? Jesus loved people and he served people and he didn't care what they looked like, what color they were, where they come from. He, he loved them. The reason in our church we talk so much about life groups is because it's an opportunity to bring in people that are lost. 
You know, I think there's three primary reasons why we talk about life groups, and it's not because we all have nothing to do. Listen, we're all busy. We can all fill our schedules with anything that we want. But I think one of the reasons we, we talk about life groups is for the community aspect. Listen, I love church. I love coming together, but I also love having a smaller group of people that I can talk to about life issues that I can hang out with, that I can share my life with. Listen, as much as uh, I love Pastor John's preaching and teaching, listen, we can't all go out and eat with Pastor John every single day. Hello. So we need people around us that we can confide in, that we can pray for, that we can just enjoy life with. I think the second reason life groups are so important is because of the, the discipleship aspect. Listen, Jesus wants us to make disciples. To make a disciple, you got to become a disciple. We talk about it. We have questions. We ask questions. We edify one another. And finally, I think it's the evangelism aspect where we bring people into our house. Listen, you don't have to have a a theology degree to open up your house and invite people in and share life with, right? So I want to encourage us to do those things. So anyway, who else is in the audience with Jesus? The Bible says some Pharisees walk up while all these sinners are around him. The Pharisees, as we know, they were the religious class of the Jews. Um, Some Pharisees were good. Some Pharisees weren't so good. How many people know there's some Christians that are good and there's some Christians that aren't very good? In the Bible, we get this bad take on Pharisees because, you know, a lot of them were bad, but there was also a lot that were good. But particularly in this passage, these Pharisees that come up to Jesus, they're the ones that I would consider fake. They look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're self-righteous, they're prideful, they don't care about the things of God. So this is the audience surrounding Jesus, tax collectors, sinners, and then some religious people that look good on the outside, but in reality, they're not following God. Jesus begins his story. He says there was a man who had two sons. The younger son came to his dad, and he wanted his inheritance. We have to stop here for a second. You have a younger son come to his dad and says, Dad, I want my portion of what you've built, of what you've made, and I want it now. Now, we've got to understand a few things about you know, Jewish custom. In, in America in 2017, that just sounds ludicrous. But back in the day, you know, a lot of times the, the father would break up the property between the sons so the sons could help manage, could help build. Uh, but as we know, this isn't the case in this story. This son doesn't want to help manage anything. He wants something his dad bought or, or, or built, and he wants to run away, and he wants to do his own thing. He doesn't want to help his dad out. The son wants to take everything away, and he wants to leave his dad's home, leave community, and this is a big deal. Basically, he's telling the dad, Dad, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of this house. I'm tired of following you. I'm tired of, uh, of this community. I'm tired of the rules. I want what's coming to me when you die, but I want it now, and I never want to see you again. Whew. What's interesting is what does the dad do? He gives it. He does it. This is the second point I want us to look at. The dad lets the son go, and the question that we have to ask is why? You know, I've read this story so many times, and I thought, why on earth would this dad give this son this money? Have you ever thought this? Like, it'd make the parable a lot shorter if the dad is like, no, that's it. <laughs> you, know, you know, my son's four, and if he comes to me when he's 18 years old, and he's like, Dad, I'm tired of you, I'm tired of mom, I'm tired of the house, I'm tired of the rules, never want to see you again. I want some money, and I want to roll out. I'm going to look at him, and I'm going to just be like, get out of here, you know? Get out of here. But that's not the dad in the story. Listen, the dad in the story is different from any other dad that's ever walked the face of the planet. The dad in the story is obviously God. This father says, listen, take it. And so we have to ask, is this 
Is the father foolish? Is he, is he weak? Has he had the blinders pull over his, his eyes? What's going on? And the answer is no. God has done this every single day. Since the beginning, God has done this. This has been his pro quo. Every single person that's ever lived on this planet, God has given talents and abilities to and resources to and, 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 and gifts to. But the question is not, do I have a gift or a talent? Because every person in this room, you do. The question is, what are you doing with what God gave you? Romans chapter 11, verse 29 says, For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. What that means is God gave it to you, but it's your choice what you do with what God gave you. It's not even God's choice. It's your choice. Listen, I could give you several examples, but you look at Billy Graham, obviously a great man of leadership. He had a lot of charisma. A lot of people followed him. He had a gift from God. It's undeniable. But you can't deny that Adolf Hitler had the same gift. One used their gift to bless God. The other one used it to not bless God. You can look at musicians. There's some people, they have a beautiful gift to sing, and, and they're talented musically, and some of them, they use that gift to bless God. Other people use that gift to blaspheme God. We look at athletes, same thing. I mean, you're seven foot two. You didn't make yourself grow to be seven foot two. That's a gift from God. You make millions of dollars to shoot a basketball. Some use that talent for God. Others use it for themselves. Some of us in here, there's a talent to make money. And God's given you that mind and you're wired that way and, and business deals and all that. And it's a gift from God. And, and, and you realize that and you bless God. You bless God's kingdom. Other people, they make a lot of money, same gift, but they think, man, this is my money. I'm not giving it to anybody. Listen, the question is not do you have it. It's what are you doing with it. And I, I think that's something we need to ask ourselves every single day. And if you read throughout Scripture, the more and more we realize we have gifts, when we give those gifts back to God, listen, God gives them back, but he blesses us even more. He really does. Honor God with what you have. So the Bible says the father splits up his inheritance between both sons. The older son stays at dad's house. The younger son rolls out. The next point I want us to look at is where does this boy go? The Bible says he goes to a far country. I want us to stop here for just a second. Where did the son go? Did he go to Las Vegas? Did he go to Rome? Did he go on a cruise? Did he go to the beach? Where did he go? In my mind, as I've read this time and time again, in my mind, I just have always pictured this kid got his inheritance and he went hundreds or thousands of miles away. But actually, uh, that's wrong. This boy, I want you to follow me here. He didn't go far away at all. He went to a place that was far away from everything that he knew growing up, yes. He went to a place that was far away from the beliefs and the customs that he had growing up. Yes, he went to a place that was far away from where his dad intended, a place far away from godly and holy. This is talking about this boy went so far away. It's talking about the condition of his heart, the condition uh, or the decision to make to leave everything that he knew. In fact, most theologians would agree that this young man only went a couple miles away from his father's house. How many people know you can live right down the street from where you grew up, but you can be a long way away? You just really can. If you look at a map of Galilee, this is where Jesus did 80% of his ministry, the, the Sea of Galilee. There's a land right on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's right there. It's called the, the Decapolis. This was, the found, this was 10 city-states. It was founded by Alexander the Great in 333 B.C. It was located right outside of, of Galilee. These cities were pagan. They were Greek. No good Jew would go to the Decapolis. 
Okay, This area was referred to in the time a few thousand years ago. It was referred to as the far country or the far off land. But it was only right on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was also called the land of the untouchables. Because this place was a place of wickedness. It was a place um, where, where, the, where the Greeks would live and the Gentiles would live. The Jews wouldn't go there. Okay, So when Jesus is telling this parable, they would realize this far country is not some way off distant land. It's a place they refer to right on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, it's a far off land where nobody that was a Jew would want to go. Okay, this young man is right on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a mile or two away. You can look at a, a Bible commentary and you can read that pretty easily. This is why I follow this. This is why this part of the story to me is so significant because the father knew the whole time what the son was doing. Okay. It's not that the father didn't know. In my mind, before I used to think, man, maybe the father just didn't know what he was doing. But listen, he heard about it. He probably even saw some of the things that he was doing. This son went to a far country. He changed. He left everything. This is a picture of being lost. This is a picture of backsliding. This is a picture of turning away from everything. And the father knew it. He heard about it. And he may have even saw it. Listen, this is why I think this story is so amazing. The father saw the son blow it, spend his inheritance, you know, drink, party, do drugs, hook up with prostitutes. And yet at the end of the story, he welcomes the son back. Listen, I think that's worth giving God praise that even on our worst day, when we repent, God will take us back. He really will. The Bible says... The Bible says that we were, when we were yet sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. Listen, all of us in here, you know, I don't, I don't know your scorecard, but I know if we were to add it up, I wouldn't like the results probably. But there's a father who forgives, and there's a father who welcomes us back, and there's a father who really, really cares about us. Listen, it's not uh, a lot of times in our life we just kind of overlook that, but man, God does love us. Um, God sees it, and he still let the son back. Let's stop here for a second. Next point I want us to look. Look at what would make this boy leave his father's house. By all accounts, this father is a great father. I mean, he's a loving father. He's a caring father. The boy had to know that, but why would he leave his father's house? And the answer was he was deceived. Listen, the interesting thing about deception is most of the time at the beginning, you don't know you're deceived. Okay? There's a story in the New Testament about a, uh, it's called the story of the rich young ruler. Are you familiar with it? Young man comes to Jesus he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How many people know that's a good question to ask? And ultimately, that's a question that all humankind should ask or is pursuing asking. What must I do? And you know what Jesus says? He rattles off a few commandments. You know, have you done this? Have you done this? The boy says, yes, I've kept all those since I was a little kid. The Bible says Jesus looks at him and loves him. And he says, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And then what? You can come to heaven, basically. What does the boy do? The Bible says he goes away sad because he had much. This young man was so deceived into thinking what he had was worth more than what he could have had. I just find this interesting. This didn't even involve faith, if you think about it. Jesus is saying, if you will do this, then you can have this. But he went away. He was unwilling to do the one thing that he needed to do. Listen, he was deceived. I also find this interesting. If you really think about the story, the young man, he was concerned with heaven. He wanted heaven, but he didn't really want Jesus. You know what I mean? 
And I find that a lot of times in the lives of people, sometimes we can be more focused on heaven than focused on Jesus. And the problem is you can't get to heaven unless you go through Jesus. We want Jesus. What is the reward for following Jesus? The reward is Jesus. And a lot of times we try to go around him. If I do enough good, if I do enough this, if I help enough old people cross the street, you know, if I put enough money in the offering plate. Listen, you have to go to Jesus. A lot of times we try to go around him. Did I, did I do this right? Did I do this right? Come to Jesus. You know, I, I love the story in the New Testament of Zacchaeus. Remember, he's the little dude that's in a tree. He wants to see Jesus. Jesus walks by. He knows his name. Zacchaeus, who is the chief tax collector. I already explained about tax collectors. He's not a religious man. He comes down out of that tree after Jesus says his name, and basically he gives everything away. One man wanted Jesus. The other man just wanted the benefits of Jesus. Listen, which one are you today? I think it's easy to look at our life. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but do you want Jesus? Do you want a relationship with him? Listen, because there's a more rewarding life right now on this planet than just waiting, you know, to die or waiting for the rapture. By the way, September 23rd came and went yesterday and nothing bad happened. I had a friend that texted me and he said, did you make it? And I said, I said, no. And he said, well, I made it and I'm putting in a good word for you. (laughs) So anyways, moving on. The Bible says uh, next after he takes the inheritance, he goes to the far country. He wastes his money in reckless living, and he finds himself broke, hungry, in a famine. He finds himself living and eating with pigs. Listen, this is disgusting. I don't know if you've ever seen pigs, like, in their natural habitat, but it's disgusting, okay? And these Jews, remember that he's talking to these people in this, this era, they would have known this. They didn't eat bacon, okay? They didn't see any good thing for a pig. They just thought this was disgusting. Here's our next point. What exactly did the young man do while he was away? What did the son do? What were his sins? Listen, the Bible doesn't say. It just says reckless living. Us preachers sometimes, sometimes we like to ad-lib a little bit. He, he was doing drugs and he was doing this and he was hooking up with prostitutes. But I find it interesting that Jesus never lists his sins. Isn't that interesting? I think there's two reasons. Number one, I think God is more interested in telling us about the repercussion of sin rather than each individual sin. Sometimes I think we can get so caught up in about the details of sin. Jesus wanted to point out that there's consequences. The boy is living with pigs, the grossest thing of the time. And also he is separated from a father that loves him. The relationship is broke. How many people know that sin will always take you farther than you want to go? It'll cost you more than you want to pay, and it will keep you there longer than you want to stay. This boy just wanted freedom, but he ended up a slave. I just want to have a good time. I just want to be on my own, but isn't it interesting? He ends up enslaved. The opposite of what he want is where he ended up. And I think the same thing can happen in our own life. You know, you just wanted an A on a paper. You didn't realize that it would make you a liar. You just wanted to see somebody naked. You didn't realize it would make you perverse. You just wanted everybody to like you, but you didn't realize that it would make you jealous and offended and liar, lying and a gossiper. See, sin always takes us farther than we want to go. We think we'll get this out of it, but sin always brings forth destruction and it brings forth death. Jesus wanted us to see the consequence of sin. Sin brings forth death. That's what he wanted his, his, his audience to know. 
Listen, and, and, and just to throw this out there, just because you know, something bad hasn't happened because you've done a particular sin doesn't mean it's still not against God. Sometimes we weigh things. Well, it didn't, didn't get caught. You know, it didn't get put in jail. This didn't happen. Listen, sin takes us away from God. Why does the Bible have all these commandments? Why does, there are all these red letters in the teachings of Jesus? You know, when we follow the teachings of Jesus, they're only to help us. Jesus doesn't tell us to be pure because it makes him more pure. He's already pure. He doesn't tell us not to lie or steal because it helps him out because he never lies. God doesn't tell us to forgive because, you know, he, that helps him. He tells us to do these things because it's only going to help us. And a lot of times we're so deceived by doing things in our life and we think, man, nothing bad has happened. All the while, we're living in a pig pen. We're only living a partial life of what we could live. Jesus wants us to have peace and joy and love. And listen, I realize this world isn't perfect, but if we're living in sin, it's going to be worse than it could be. The second reason I think Jesus left out the sins is because he forgot them. I mean, do you believe the Bible? The Bible says if you repent of your sins and you turn away from them, that he forgets our sins. I'll be honest, I think a lot of times as Christians, we spend too much time reliving sinful things that we used to do. There's power in the forgiveness. I don't want to relive the person I used to be. I want to move forward to the person that God's called me to be. I also think that Jesus didn't tell the sins because sometimes when we hear the sins of another person, we think we're better than them. Oh, they're bad. They did this. They did that. We realize that sin is sin is sin to God. It's sin. Whether you tell a lie, whether you kill somebody, it's a sin. And listen, it's, it's not perfect people that make it to heaven. It's redeemed people that make it to heaven. He wants us to see the repercussions of sin. He wants us to know that he doesn't remember it when we repent. And, and this is just for some of you this morning. I just really felt this earlier. Maybe you've done something in your past that was, that was bad, it was sinful, whatever, and it just keeps like messing with you. It keeps haunting. It keeps just kind of coming through your mind, and you can't sleep uh, some nights. Listen, I want you to turn back. I want you to think about that. I want you to ask for forgiveness. I want you to look ahead and move on. We need to leave some things behind. Listen, the enemy comes to, to condemn. He comes to bring up. He comes to blame. Jesus came to set us free. So if you've done something in your past, let God forgive you. Believe that you're forgiven and move on. Amen? Move on. The next part of the story talks about while the young man is living the consequence of sin, separation from God, he's in the pig's pit. He has this aha moment. Have you ever had one of those before? Man, things are better at my dad's house. His servants are eating better than I am. I've got to apologize. I've got to go back. I've got to do something. I had everything. Now I had nothing. I used to have, you know, a relationship with the Father. Now I have no one. I believe that this was the place of repentance in this young man's life. The next point I just want to hit on real fast is true repentance. Listen to me. Repentance is an action. Realizing where you are, regretting it, turning from your sin, getting out of the mud, going home, saying you're sorry, but not going back to the mud. I think it's important to remember that repentance isn't just saying sorry. Sorry is the fruit, or one of the fruits of repentance, but it's literally leaving the pig's pen, leaving the far country, and going home. The Greek word for repentance, it's metanoia, it's to turn the other way. Pastor John preached on that a few weeks ago. 
I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've done something I know I shouldn't, shouldn't do. I knew it was against God. I, I said, sorry, God, but I moved on. I continued to do the same thing. Repentance is an action. It's to turn away from and turn back towards home, turn back towards God. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were driving, all four of us, uh, in my truck, and we're going somewhere, and, and uh, the kids are in the back seat, and I hear my son, he, he says, she pulled my hair, and he's kind of whining a little bit, and Aslan, like, is two, and she can't even reach him unless he, like, leans over there, okay, but y'all know if you have young kids, and so Whitney leans in the back, and she says, Aslan, say you're sorry. <laughs> Aslan puts out her lip, and she's like, I'm sorry. Like, did she mean that at all? No. She did it again like two minutes later. You know, I mean, and a lot of us, we do the same thing. God, I'm sorry. We don't mean it. If we mean it, we'll quit doing it. See, uh, I, think, I think for too long there's been a misteaching on grace in the church. Not this church, but I think in general there's sometimes a misteaching on grace. Here's a misconception. God loves me. He knows, he knows that I'm going to sin. He has grace for me, so I'm just going to keep on sinning. Friend, the grace is to overcome sin. That's what the grace is for. The grace is to overcome it. So what Jesus is showing the audience that repentance is, it's realizing you did something against the Father, feeling remorseful about it, turning from that sin, heading home, and not doing it, doing it again. The boy repents. I think it's important to note that even though we repent, there are still consequences of sin. Okay, I'm almost done. So the young man, he's heading home. He's probably, again, only a few miles away. What does the Bible say? When the son was a long way off, the Bible says that the father saw him. And the Bible says that the father ran to the son. I love this. I think there's two reasons that the father ran to the son. Number, number first of all, in this custom, in this context, men of stature, they didn't run at all. But this guy takes off running. I think there's two reasons. Number one, because he missed the son. He loved his son. He cared about the son. This was, this was his son. This was his boy. And yeah, he'd done some bad stuff, but this was still his son. I think he had been looking for that son ever since he had been gone. I think he had been waiting for him to come back. So I think that's the first reason why he takes off running. He wants to get to him. I think the second reason he takes off running is to beat everybody else before they can get to the son. Think about it. Think about how many people would want to condemn him. You are terrible. You wasted dad's money. You owe me money. Why would you lie? You did this and that. I think the father runs to get to the son to protect him before anybody else can get there. Listen, that's a father that we serve. That's a God that loves us. That's a God that cares about us. That's a God. He, he runs to us. So he runs, he runs to the son the Bible says that he, he grabs him. The Bible says that the son falls on the ground and the son says this, let me be your servant. I'm not worthy to be your son. What does the father do? The Bible says he says, forget being a servant. You're my son. Get a robe, get some sandals, get a ring. This is my son. Kill the fattened calf. We are about to have a party. Listen, this is the greatest story ever told. This is the greatest story ever told. The son that was lost, but now he's found. He was living with the pigs, but now he's come back to the father. He ran away. He was living sinful, but now he's come back, and the father has welcomed him back. This is the greatest story ever told. Why? Because it's, it's the story of all of us. Imagine Jesus telling this story. 
Not me telling this story 2,000 years later. Imagine Jesus telling this story to a group of tax collectors and sinners. It's the greatest story ever told. Every single person in here, if you've been saved, you have lived out this story. For the past 2,000 years, this story has played out. It's the greatest story ever told. It's the story of us. But you think Jesus would stop right there. It's the greatest story ever, but he doesn't. Have you ever like watched a movie and it was amazing until the very end? And you're like, oh, it's terrible. I want my money back. Especially if you're at the movie theater, you just pay like $12 for popcorn and $5 for a Coke. You're like, I want it all back. Jesus tells this amazing story, but, but he's not done. He next tells the saddest story in the Bible. It's a story about the other son. Remember, there was two sons. I can just picture Jesus telling the story. The sinners and tax collectors, they know that he's talking about them. They are the prodigal. They are away. And I can just imagine he's telling the story of the father running and embracing them and forgiving them. I can just imagine their, their eyes just welling up with tears. Imagine Jesus giving like an altar call. Can you do that? I bet it was good. He's telling the story, but I believe they're thinking, man, he's telling a story about us. This story is about us. We can come back to the Father. We can be restored. Everything can be better. But then I believe he probably looks over there at the Pharisees. And they're probably rolling their eyes. They don't like these tax collectors. They don't like these sinners. Then he begins the second part of the story. He says, when the older son came home, the Bible said he got mad. He heard music, people rejoicing, uh, people celebrating. Listen, side note, that's what the church should look like. Amen. That's what the church should look like, and Nick and the band can come up. But the older son is basically complaining, why is there music? Why are they having a party? Why is that fattened calf? Why is, is he getting killed? Why are y'all celebrating this son that was lost, right? And the father obviously tells him, your brother, he was gone, but he's back. But see, the other son, he doesn't care at all. The Bible says he won't even go into the party. I want you to listen just for a second. I wonder if we as Christians have become sometimes like the older brother. Maybe sometimes we forget how awesome the father really is. This older son had been around the father, but I think he forgot how much dad loved him, how much dad cared. What does the father then say to the older brother? You've always been around me. Here's what I think this means. You've always been around me, but you don't look much like me. You've always been around me, but you don't really know my heart. And obviously this message was for the religious people. It was for the Pharisees. It was for the people that looked the part on the outside, but on the inside, they were away from God. In Revelation, it talks about losing their first love. These Pharisees, they started off good, but somewhere along the line, man, they lost their love for God. They became prideful. They became arrogant. They became self-righteous. Listen, as I close, I want you to think about uh, this for a second. Whose side was Jesus on? Was he on the younger son's side? Was he on the older son's side? Was he on the Pharisee's side? Was he on the sinner's side? And it's obvious Jesus wasn't playing sides. He was showing that both groups needed him. And basically this parable was to, to ask them, whose side are you on? Are you going to stay in the mud? Or are you going to come home? Are you going to stay outside of the party, older son? Or are you going to come home? This story isn't about one lost son. It's about two sons. And it's about a father who loved both of them. I want you to stay on your feet this morning. 
Today, as we get ready to close, I want us to think about our life. If you were to be honest here today and say, I've been the prodigal before, I want you to raise your hand. Yeah. What about I've been the second son? I've been both of them. Aren't you glad there's a God that will forgive both? He'll forgive you when you're in sin, when you repent. And even after you've been saved, when your heart has grown cold, He will forgive you then and He will restore you. Listen, I want to pray for everybody. Uh, Before we do, I want you just to close your eyes. Maybe you're in this place this morning and you are the prodigal right now. Maybe you're living in the mud. Maybe maybe you're away from God. Maybe you've been doing your own thing and and, and you come to church because you know it's a place that you need to go or, or, or your grandma invited you to come or your parents or whatever. But you know you're away from God. Listen, the Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But the Bible says when we repent of our sins and turn back to Him, that He'll forgive us, that He'll save us, that He'll restore us. If you're in here this morning and you say, I just need Jesus to save me. I need to be forgiven of my sins and I want to come back home. If that's you, just where you are, nobody looking around, I want you to raise your hand so I can see you. I see you. I see several people. I just want to pray for you, Lord. People that have their hands up, God, I just, I thank you that you're the savior, savior of the world. You're the savior of our soul. And God, the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, right now, everyone that raised their hand, Lord, I pray that they would repent. They would turn from their sins, Lord, that they would start to come towards you. You would help them. You would bless them. God, they would follow you. And I pray you would bless them in Jesus' name. Head still down. If you're in this place today and maybe you feel like you're the older son. Maybe your heart's grown just a little cold. You've been saved. You know God. But maybe you've just kind of left that first love. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Yeah, several people. Lord, I pray for people today that we would come back to, to loving you. We would serve you, God. We'd give you our whole hearts. God, what's become cold, Lord, I pray that you would heat up again. God, we would return to our first love. God, we wouldn't be so busy that we forget to spend time with you. God, we wouldn't be so busy. We don't have a relationship with you. God, help us be passionate. Help us love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many of you look at me? How many people are in here today and you say, you know what? As we end kind of coming to the last quarter of this year, you just say, I want to have a heart of thanksgiving towards God. We get busy, we get sidetracked, and we can forget what God did in our life. Let's just all throw our hands up today. Lord, give us a heart of thanksgiving. God, there's a lot of things going on in the world, and we are grateful that you love us, that you care about us. Lord, let us get our attention off of ourselves sometimes and what we don't have. Let us be thankful for what we do have. God, we have hope. We have peace. We have joy. Lord, I pray for my friends today, God, that we would pursue you, and we would have a heart of gratitude because of what you've done for us. You are the great father we love you god bless your people in jesus name and everybody said amen i want our prayer team to come up real fast we didn't have time in the middle of service because we did communion but if you would like prayer for anything we want to pray with you any need that you have if you raised your hand a while ago to say listen i need to receive jesus i'm the prodigal if that was you i want you to meet me at the cross and i want to give you something i want to pray with you again but listen we're so happy that you're here God is here. Let's do something for Jesus this week. Uh, Pastor Nick and the team, they're going to go through this one more time. If you need prayer for anything, our prayer team is up here. God bless you.
Look forward to seeing you again next week. You're a good, good father.